0: This is episode number 218, The Next Step, with Thomas Loflader. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive attitude of gratitude. This is a two weekend experience where we'll be exploring the concepts of different ways to develop resilience with gratitude, grieving with gratitude, and ultimately exploring the whole mindset behind what it means to be grateful and what life looks like without this larger concept of being grateful. If you would like to more details about these upcoming experiences, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you will be able to find the full agenda as well as all of the speakers and facilitators who will be taking part of this particular experience. The second announcement that I would like to make is this. If you enjoyed any of the previous episodes or if this is your first time tuning in and you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show.
1: Thomas, long time no see. Long time no see. Hi, all. <laughs> good to see you. We were scheduled for last Monday, but you you yeah. already said in your intro, intro what happened,
0: so good to see you. Good yeah, see you. it was it was quite the experience, you know, being able to go through that. So, I mean, as you're aware and considering also where you live, I've lived in Michigan, so I'm kind of used to the snow and the cold so i get i know how to adapt and get through it but i think (laughs) this time around the challenge or an additional challenge within all of this was that because there is truly no infrastructure to deal with things like that here you know there are no salt trucks there are no plows i wasn't able to operate the same way that i used to (laughs) in michigan where in michigan you just get in the car and you kind of you know move on with the rest of your day because. Starting at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, the salt trucks are already out there plowing the highways, the main roads, and then they go in like two or three shift increments throughout the day. But here, there wasn't a thing. So like I looked outside and there was no way I was going to get the Mazda out of the driveway. (laughs) Like it it wasn't even a thought to consider because the snow was literally almost like above the wheels. And that's where I just realized that, okay, what's the next step, which is why I think like this topic alone couldn't be more relevant, but really just based on my experience, of uh, being in the crisis situations for me, it really is about focusing on the next step ahead. And I think even outside of crisis, just general, like planning and things like that, I'm, I've found myself like focusing more on the next step instead of trying to figure out the whole how all at once.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, the next step is an exciting topic because it's. Uh, that's why I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's. It has, of course, lots of advantages, right? You kind of you get a drive, you get a direction, but there's also lots of dangers to it. If you always focus on the next step, mm-hmm. you will just you know where to stop. When are you actually in the moment where you are, and where should where should you put your focus? And I do also think in crisis, yes, as much as you need a direction and need a way where you can go to, it's also important to really look around you and say like, so what's actually happening here. From where do I start? That Mm -hmm. understanding is in a way that the first step, right? As you described your situation, you described, you know, you looked outside the house, there's a lot of snow, no way I could get my car out of the driveway. What am I going to do? But that's already a first assessment in the sense of like, okay, this is the situation. If you don't do that and just focus on the next step, you might
0: actually be in for a surprise.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, not to summarize like all of your work and experience in one to two sentences, (laughs) because it truly wouldn't do it justice, but where would you suggest as far as one starting to develop that type of awareness? Um, Like any books, anything in particular that have come across your plate um, that have helped you realize that, yes, it is about the next step, but at the same time, just solely focusing on the next step ahead. I mean, there's the, in the moment and everything kind of gets missed.
1: Um, Well, that's, that's more almost of a personal realization because I've, Uh um, I have been, driven a lot by the next and the previous step for that matter so it was always like you know it was this typical I was actually living that that saying that the grass is green on the other side so it was almost this this one red thread that's for my life you know in a weird way over many of the the past years was really that I I was always kind of I was a bit restless so Mm -hmm. I was never satisfied for where I was because I was always looking where to go right or where I've been So I didn't really cherish the moment, which in a way becomes a paradox because you, the moment you move on, you look back to that moment that you were just in. And, um, and that, that just was not easy for me, but I didn't realize it so much, but it was not so easy for people around me. Right. So, and I got, I got really, I got actually confronted by this when I started a family and when that urge Still was there and it's often it's often a lot easier to move on if things are getting challenging or if things are difficult then you're just like oh yeah let's just change the context and things will will be fine because it's a lot easier there Uh until it's not and um and being confronted with people that are close to you and that actually mirror you that you know why why you're not here why is your head there or why are you actually already trying to drive to look for the next drive was kind of a, a kickstart for a realization process of that of course i mean i you know we talk about this a lot i I read a lot and so on but i think really the the brutal realization i did myself and it was was a look in the mirror and it was a look into what i've been reflected by by other people about my behavior about my wishes and my drives and um and that's when i realized that maybe the next step isn't always where you should be looking even
0: though you should be but you shouldn't always be looking there so it's Uh a a balance right I'm the same exact way. I think for however long I viewed life through a similar lens, <laughs> like always focusing on, the next, focusing on the next thing and having, you know, the previous one determine um, the one that I take after that. And I realized that for however many years, and and I'm saying this not as a, anything to regret. I mean, it just it just is or it was the way it was. But, like, living in the moment was a very challenging thing to do with, with because everything was built upon the future, <laughs> And if you kind of think about it and you know I don't want to generalize for anyone or make assumptions for other people but for my life and my experience much of it revolved around what's the next thing that you have to achieve. And I think that's one of the dangers at least for me of achievement in general is that and maybe I just haven't found this space the way that it is but in it, in constantly looking at achievement the present moment is very rarely there. Mm -hmm. You know, because as soon as you get to the next project, it's like, okay, what's the project after that? Or as soon as you achieve a particular milestone, what's the one after that? And I found myself constantly just going from one to the other. And the same thing applied to connections. I mean, I, I found myself and I was unfortunate to have that realization and be able to slow down instead of kind of chasing, you know, the needle in a haystack, like connecting with as many people as possible to find that one person that you feel like you are at PSAT, you belong, you know, they resemble a sense of community for you. But that took, that took many years to get to that point. Um, and I don't know if I can necessarily say it's like any one book or any one person that said like, just do this and you'll be fine. I think it was probably just a combination of all these experiences that just helped me understand that, okay, it is important to focus on the future, but at the same time, it's also important to be here like in the moment, because if I'm not here and I'm always focusing on the future, then what does life even look like at that point? Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I can, I can totally relate
1: to that because I, it's, it's very similar. I mean, one, one element of it, as you just said, is the achievements. Mm -hmm. But what happened for me is with every achievement I lost that the the quicker the achievements came, the more I lost the ability to celebrate the successes and appreciate actually that I appreciate them which is exactly what I headed out for in the first place to achieve. So it became almost like, well, I've just completed the study. Um, so where's the next study? <laughs> and it was a, of saying like, wow, that's actually a big achievement because you've been working on the side and so on. But it, it was more like, so what's next? You know, and, and not appreciating that you actually did it. And that devalued a little bit what I have learned that devalued the achievements that I've had. So that's one element. And the other element that you mentioned is, of course, a very important one and that I felt extremely strongly because i've been moving around a lot and, and i know you have been moving too and with every move and the shorter the time periods were that i was in in certain places the more i derooted myself right the mm-hmm. one it's beautiful to discover the world that's that's great and i think everybody should do that if they have the chance to they don't have to but i have for me just really added a lot of richness to my life but at the same time it 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 made me less comfortable for where i actually have those roots right i left i realized that i left austria about almost half my lifetime ago, so it was almost twenty years that I left Austria. Which is which is so I'm, I'm I'm approaching the time that I lived longer away from Austria than I actually lived there. Yet it's my home. I'm a citizen there. I still feel very connected to to the country, the place, the people. Certainly, but I wouldn't. I. It's difficult to say whether I still have the roots there, right? Because um, it kind of doesn't feel like it. And now I'm in Norway, where I've lived for the past eight years. And it took me at least four or five, maybe six years to accept that this is where we're going to stay. And actually, maybe that's when I started to kind of grow some roots here. But I wouldn't know if that's going to be the place where I say I belong to or not. So I, I think that's that's very important. And, and what I've learned, and we talked about this also, I think the two of us previously, is really that belonging for me is a lot in people as well. Mm-hmm. It's really the people the connections that you find and of course if you move around a lot now it's easier maybe to maintain connections but when i started to move around it wasn't that easy there were no was hardly social media platforms that worked the way they did today so it was very very difficult and i realized that i was actually searching for those deep connections that i had as a child or as a young young boy growing up those really good friends childhood friends they just know me from you know my whole growing up process i was i was trying to replace those connections in other places and that of course isn't possible, but it took me a long time to actually realize that. So there's there's a couple of elements in that where I really
0: find myself or what you just described. How do you know when you're home? Like is, is that a feeling or like a, a thought?
1: I've asked myself that a lot. And for me it's it's more a feeling. It's more really when I when that restlessness that I described before gets a bit of a break. When I just have the feeling like I don't have to move on.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't have
1: to kind of look for wh- where we're going to go now. It's okay because time just doesn't matter. This is for me. For me, when I when I don't think about time, when I don't think about you know, uh, uh, well, what's the next step or what is really going to happen in, in a short period from now, then I feel at home. It's really this eliminating this time concept uh, in from my mind, and that's when I when I know that I'm I'm here and now, and that's when I know that I actually can really enjoy and and, and be in
0: the moment. Wow, yeah, I mean, I can say that I'm partially there. I know one of the things that I <coughs> experienced and try to understand is a similar question, like how do I know when I'm home? What does that feel like? Because I have transitioned so much throughout life. And even in this past week, I've realized that one of the things that I have a, um, a different experience or a more of a challenge around <coughs> is transitioning. Not the transition themselves, but by transitioning into a new environment and then having to redevelop that rhythm, that routine again. Like that takes time, you know, because I mean, there's so many factors that to consider, like smells are different, you know, the table is not the same, and all these other things that Mm -hmm. at home allow me to understand, okay, this is where I operate. So I feel like there's almost like a level of comfort and probably safety that I've developed versus going into a new environment. It's like, I'm having to go through the same exact checklist to redevelop Mm -hmm. that safety, to redevelop that comfort comfort. And so that's why I was really curious from your lens. Like, how do you know when you're home considering that you have lived, you know, in Norway, it's longer now, right? Then eight years that I've been here
1: now. So it's the longest period since I was in Austria that I've lived anywhere. Um, (laughs) But what I what what I I came across that model that's meanwhile anyway very widely known about mm-hmm. the culture shock idea, right? Um, how culture how adapting to cultures or other other cultures in context works, and it's just really it starts with this honeymoon phase where everything is exciting, <laughs> and then and then you really drop, right? You drop into a depression because things are different, and you 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 hit the first walls, and you kind of it's it's that step before you then really start accepting and really oozing into it, bit what mm-hmm. you described. And and I've realized that very often I actually didn't even reach that that integration because when it was difficult I was just moving on. Because I could. And and that actually robs you of a lot of experience that's that's valuable.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I,
1: I first I felt when when the routine kicked in, when it became, you know, when it became settled that I it maybe became a bit boring. You know, that was kind of the mindset almost like oh maybe it's time to move on which was anyway a completely misplaced mindset. But I was, I was younger. I was, you know, driven to explore the world. And, um, and what I didn't, what I underestimated it, that it became a habit. It became that habit of doing it. Not, not really motivational anymore, but it was just like, this is how I do it. And reversing from that was actually very difficult because you really, you, you, you have to let go of the concept. Okay, now it's, now it's really, it's discomfort what I'm feeling now. But it's good to actually sit in that because on the other side of it, there's actually something good waiting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what I've been working on over the past years, particularly
0: now in Norway. And I wonder if part of that is kind of ingrained in the individual. Like for me, it's the same exact way. I know that whenever I go into a new place and then I come back, it, that thought of what's next, it, it's even, at a, it, I want to say, it vibrates at even a higher frequency. Like now I will put everything aside and literally focus on what's the next trip, what's the next adventure. And it kind of, it just reminds me of I think all these books that I used to read or, you know, my parents used to read to me when I was younger and there are there all these different types of characters, but there's always that one character who's always looking for an adventure, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and I feel like I'm that kid. I'm still that kid that's always looking for a new adventure. In fact, I remember this was probably half a year. No, it was way longer than that because coronavirus was was at least a year long, <laughs> a year long period. So like a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine during which he had said that you have created this. Now it is your responsibility to learn to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that in that sentence alone, two were very different things requiring very different skill sets. And I know that the creation part is naturally what drives me. Like I love to just sit behind and create, you know, without an agenda with a goal in mind. So I guess there is an agenda to a degree, but like I love to just create for the sake of creating because I love to experience that newness component. You know, I want to, I want to experience like, well, what could it be or what could happen? But you're spot on. I think there's a danger within that as well because in operating from that mindset, once I come back from a trip, the question is, what's next? You know, where do you want to visit next? And then after that, it's like, where do you want to go after that? So I think the placement component, it's almost like it becomes out of place because it's constantly transitioning.
1: Yeah. And and what I felt for myself was that I partially I tried to recreate experiences, right? Or, or mm-hmm. feelings that I've had. So... You know, as it, uh, th- that moment, you know, you come to a new country and it's super exciting, and you, you know, smell it for the first time. And I'm, a, I'm a very like, uh, I, you know, I work with smells and looks and everything, so I really, I really take everything in that's there. And and that feeling is just that that's very difficult to compare to other things. But but that also can become the danger is that you try to replace it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then when you do it too often. It numbs you because you can only you, you never take the time to actually process what you've what you've experienced. You actually you you go from experience to experience, but it's never processed. So you get that backlog of experiences that you can't you can't really work through. And that was when it happened for me that I often also looked back at them. Right. And say, like, oh, but that was so great. Maybe I'll go back there. And when I went back there, it was the biggest disappointment because it wasn't the first time I went to the place. Looked oh, yeah. different. I was a different person. My expectations were completely were higher. So I think there was a lot of lot of things connected to that. But on the bright side, what you've just said—the the creation and the really the what also drives you to the next steps—that's that's in its core, I think, a very positive thing. Because you 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 are willing to explore, you are willing to to do things, and I found that always for myself a very positive thing. But what I've learned is that I need to know, or I need to get better at understanding from which place I start exploring, from which okay. place I actually do that next step. So to really understand where I'm coming from and where I am now, and that will help me actually to to categorize that, to process what I what I'm experiencing it without necessarily having to compare it to other experiences but just adding it on to almost like a mosaic piece so yeah
0: yeah and i think that concept of open-mindedness or having an open mind that's where i think really comes into play (laughs) because i've done the same thing and in fact I, i do the same exact thing when it comes to many of the situations i'll go revisit the same place i think the difference now is i'm able to look for other sources of meaning, even though it's the same house or the same neck of the woods or same playground, because my attention is no longer focused on like, okay, how how is it compared to when you were a kid, or how is it compared to the last time you were there? I also wonder. I'm by no means, you know, I don't really have any experience in this. Rather, just you know, the curiosity to uh, explore it. But I wonder in having to constantly compare to the times where you might have been at this particular place throughout your life before, do you think in a way that creates a concept of false memories? Because like the new one, is it the new one that, it, it sounds like it's the new one that will replace the other ones.
1: Uh, that's not how I would experience it. But I would mm-hmm. think that you, you focus on the extreme positive elements of it, of that previous memory. So you're blinding everything else out. So for, I, I, the perfect example is my friends back home, right? My childhood mm. friends who really are still my dearest friends. But, but technically since I haven't lived home for so much, I don't see them so often anymore. Right. Uh, and what I live is actually a lot in those memories that I have from the time when we were together. Mm. Since then there was not so many, there were memories, but there were not so many and not the amount of memories that we build up together because we've all had different lives. We've all, we we're partly in different places and, and I just held that so high that that became the standard of everybody else who wanted to become my friend.
2: Uh-huh. And that's
1: not fair. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to me because what I what I did was I compared everybody who came in with that feeling that I had with people who grew up with me. But on the simultaneously, I understood also that through my moving around, through my not being there, that I wouldn't say the gap got bigger, but of course we, you know, we have also exp- made experience that our that are separate experiences mm-hmm. so that memories is, is partly false and it's, it's not false necessarily, but it's, it's, it's colored. It's mm-hmm. colored by, by longing for that feeling that I had back then and in a paradox that blocked me from getting the feeling now. And that's, that's how I, ex- I experienced this.
0: Do you find yourself hanging on to like the, the, that you mentioned the people that you were friends with from, I don't know, as early as middle school, high school, maybe even more, or, if those relationships kind of dissolve or evolve into something else, do you find yourself like laying yeah, out I think evolving is probably the best
1: expression mm-hmm. um, because of course it's up to us to maintain them or not. And I do mm-hmm. think maintaining a, a relationship for different reasons, right? Um, it's, it's partly subconsciously, maybe you don't want to or life's have moved in a different direction. But since I know these people so well, even if I have more contact with some than others, I know that when I meet them, we have a such with such a strong foundation that they will always be there to to have something to discuss, to have that that initial safety that will always be there, even though it might be a bit just uncomfortable in the beginning. But I know that that that's there. We have this foundation, and so I think it, it evolves in something. And I think if, if you if you look at it as you know whether maintaining a relationship or not, I think that's that's in a way always ultimately up to us, uh, because I I don't believe in saying like oh that just faded out that relationship but mm-hmm. if it meant something to me or if it was important to me or the other person for that matter of course then you you invest in it you do something about it but mm-hmm. you also forgive when there's time periods when you're not be when you're not able to be so close and so you know uh regularly in contact and i experienced this a lot because i i and in that in that sense i was often in the situations but also partly driven i actually lost some friends because of that because i wasn't you know uh, respond, responding as, as quickly as they wanted to, or I wasn't there um, all the time. and I just showed up at some times and and that for some people that doesn't work. And that was difficult for me to take. And of course I said I could have done it differently, but then I would have also neglected other things. So <laughs> those, those relationships just they, well, they, they kind of moved apart a bit and evolved into something else and some of them, yeah, they faded out.
0: I'm the same. I think similar way. One of the things that stood out to me, and I mean, you and I know this through our our connection that we've had for probably longer than a year.
1: Yeah, it's been more than a year Long now.
0: A year, yeah, before Corona. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, like frequency is important to me, and and I actually took that on as a personal responsibility to just establish that sense of frequency because I realized that throughout my life, when I didn't have that frequency, many of the friendships evolved or faded out much quicker, because then it was more so reliant, at least my experience was on, I'll call you later, or, you know, we'll catch up later. The problem with the challenge of later is that there's no definite timestamp. There's no timeline. I mean, later could literally be later for the rest of your life. And I realized that in operating from that, that was one of the reasons why many of the friendships that I've had did not sustain because I was counting on that later concept without saying, hey, let's catch up next Monday or next Tuesday or Wednesday. And so it put I think it just put it it put it too much to chance for it to happen without actually making a decision and making a commitment. Saying like okay, this is when we're gonna not necessarily where we're gonna do it, but more so this is a time. And then that way it's always in the back of my mind that, oh, okay, Thomas and I are meeting every, you know, Thursday or Monday of the week. And so I, I make sure that everything I plan around it also includes that time. But the later part, it's like, how do you plan around that?
1: No, and I, I really agree with you because this is also what something that I learned with experience and age. Mm-hmm. That is really this changing perspectives because what I completely neglected in those, uh, you know, I call you later or I, you know, and later became then a day, a week, a month, whatever. But there's always somebody else sitting that might expect it. They might actually be waiting for that call. And since I said I'm going to call later, they might not take the initiative. Or they took it again and they were disappointed again. And you only do that so often because it's always in, in itself a rejection. So while well, there's sometimes legitimate reasons, sometimes it's just simply neglect of the of the relationship. And that that took me a while. That took me really um, yeah, quite quite some maturing before I understood that, why they actually withdrew from my life and why they said they couldn't couldn't stay there. And and I understood that. But but in some context where I was, I was too absorbed by the context, by the work, by the, you know, crisis work. And and I, I'm a person that goes in 150%. So I, I, I was very absorbed by that. So my capacity wasn't there because also I, th- I personally think reflecting on it that I do not think I had anything to contribute to that relationship from my side because I didn't have any capacity. And certainly I wasn't ready to take anything in. <laughs> And I think the effect would have been the same, but maybe arguably uh, just just not, not as fading out, but maybe more confrontational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is what is, though, however, interesting is um, that, well, relationships are different now than they used to be. And I often talk, and it starts to fade actually now, because I'm one of these people who lived half my life without social media and internet and half my life with, right? So this generation. and And we used to meet up before without having smartphones or cell phones for that matter. And, and there we, we were way more reliable on commitments, appointments, and, you know, you would not bail out in the last moment and say, oh, you know what uh, doesn't work now. I call you later. That has become way more common, I think. And that has also affected the relationships, I think. And, um, and I do not necessarily experience this as a positive thing, even though I'm also part, I'm not, I'm prone to that, of course, but, um, but back then, you know, you would you would meet, you agree in town. I don't know in the evening, you go for a drink or dinner or anything. And if you wouldn't show up, that other person would just stand there and had no no option to reach you. You know, so you would make it happen, as you say. You would structure everything around it. So that I think is is also a shift that has happened. I think.
0: You know, I, I didn't even say. think about that, but that's really that's very true because I remember even when I was younger. I mean, we had. I guess you could say somewhat early version of a phone. I remember I was using a track phone. I don't know if you've experienced this, but no. <laughs> it's, this, it's this little device that you have to buy minutes for it every time. So there's, there was no such thing as unlimited data. It's that you had 180 minutes for a month and every call was, you know, making the call was a minute and then however long you talk, those were additional minutes. Each text was, I think, like a third of a minute or something like that. So I was the, by no means uh, the person to go to when it comes to like managing that thing, because I would use up the whole thing, like mm-hmm. first you know first weekend and then keep five minutes for emergency calls when my parents would call, and then sometimes I would get busted because they would call me, and I would say, like, "This phone is no longer <laughs> activated because <laughs> it ran out of minutes. But you are spot on because when I was younger, even before using that phone, what I would do is I would get on my bike. And I would make my way from my house to my friend's house. Mm-hmm. And I would go to his front door, literally knock on the door, and I would say, Hey, you know, is Carson around? And after a while, like his parents and I would developed um um a relationship or a bond where they almost like welcomed me into their family. So, you know, I no longer had to knock on the door sometimes. Sometimes I would just come in, we'll go through the door. But that was the situation. It's like you said you were gonna come and there was no other form of communication in between. No, exactly you know like you get on the bike and i mean for me it was a pretty long bike ride as well as for him because he used to do the same thing like mm-hmm. seven to eight miles
1: yeah that's a long one <laughs> wow. you know
0: and like sure. coming there and then i think the feelings of disappointment and everything they were real
1: mm-hmm.
0: when when and i so i i completely agree with you i think the commitment level was significantly higher than it is now but it's also interesting because now there's all this access to technology and you know a quick text can literally change the course of a day. Literally saying, Hey, I can't do this or I can't meet. I mean, for me or for you it takes ten to fifteen seconds. And hmm. then reality reality of the matter is like that trip alone sometimes is like an hour, hour drive. Or like what if you're going to a different country, you know, and saying, Hey, I'm gonna meet you in Spain or France. And the other person doesn't show up. So I, I completely see how like a friendship could could really have, could really take a hit from something like that.
1: And I, I want to add another layer to it, because what also I, and I've tried to be very conscious about it now, uh, is that I I was never a big fan of phones, right? Talking on the phone. Because mm-hmm. I was always this like in person. But before, before there was, uh, you know, mediums like this one where you could actually see each other, it was the phone. But the moment text messages came into the picture it was a very quick shift to written communication and that is of course a very different form of communication right it's mm-hmm. it's for those who had a distance relationship they might know that how how you know i i would say i became an expert on reading texts in uh, emotions in text because you you know you you it's small things you you try to put your hook on but we we talking way less than we used to that's at least my perception and we're way quicker to send a text right because i could technically if i can't make our meeting right uh, on a Thursday, i could also give you a quick call and say like oh like hi how are you doing um sorry i can't make it today but we can talk three minutes and we have had more interaction than we would ever had for a text mm-hmm. so maybe that's a, com- a commitment i make now if i can't if i can't uh, reach you via if i can't make our or conversations, then I'll call you instead of sending you a text, because I think that's just at least gives two, three, four minutes of conversation and you can actually check in on the other person. As you said in the beginning, that's often enough, right? You know,
2: uh-huh. checking in,
1: how are you? And you've still had a, had more, probably more contact than you would have
0: through through just a text message. Uh-huh. I've become very conscious about that. But that's. Uh-huh. Maybe. And I think also part of the communication, at least for me, what makes it difficult sometimes is especially when it comes to texting much of the texting and much of the reading of the emotions or whatever is being communicated through it is dependent on me and my recollection of the person based on the last time that I saw them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So if I haven't seen them for a year and their sense of humor has changed or evolved and, you know, they're saying something that's a joke to them, but to me it's <laughs> something serious and that happens all the time. And I find myself in those situations where now we're having to explain to each other, okay, Why was that funny? Why did I take offense to that? Like all these, you know, it's almost like unnecessary form of communication. But at the same time, I don't know what other way to solve it besides what you just described, picking up the phone or having a face-to-face, even if if it's through Zoom, (laughs) where it's so, if it's solely dependent on the text portion of it, it's all based on my memory. Because what's also with that is, I don't know if you're aware of how long it takes you to write a text. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, because so, sitting you know, there and actually like forming the thoughts and then you got to take the other person into account. Okay. How are they going to receive this? Is this funny? It's funny to me, but it may not be funny to them, <laughs> you know, and then depending on also where they're at, like they might be going through some crisis or challenging circumstance of their own. And then taking that in. I think there's just so many variables to take into account where sometimes I kid you not, I just erase the whole text and I just call.
1: And then, and if you'd done it, had done it two, three minutes earlier, it's uh, you, you would have had even more conversation, and that's often, <laughs> that's often the case. And the same for, the same applies for, you know, fixing appointments. I laugh sometimes when I when I see it because I'm doing it myself. You know, you fix appointments with 15 texts back and forth, but but if you just pick up the phones so and like, okay, we meet there, and then at this time, okay, yes, okay, you would have saved a lot more time. It's it's uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I,
0: I stopped doing that. <laughs> I've, I've lived through that chapter of my life and I feel like I've learned the necessary lessons out of it where going back in the email saying, can you do 2 p.m.? No, I can't do it. I can do 2.15 and it's just like a never-ending thread. So yeah. I'm grateful that services like Calendly and some of these others where here's my availability and it's your choice from here, whatever works for you and um. But I even find the same exact thing because not everyone uses that. Some of the people that I meet with, they're still paper calendar um, oriented. And so whatever the time that we confirm through the calendar, it's irrelevant because it doesn't go <laughs> into their database. They don't have a database for it. You know? <laughs> their, their database is a notepad. And so if it's not in that, it, there's no meeting. There's no time. There's no phone call. So I, I just realized that even with this whole evolution and all these advances in technology, there are still people living according to the way that they used to live, yeah. and it's it's not their fault by any means. You know, it's like you you have a choice, um, and I maybe I, I would say it's the responsibility of the two parties to adapt. You know, it's it's just as much my responsibility for me to adapt to my circumstances as it is for you like if you operate from a paper calendar that's something that I'm going to have to respect if I want to have a conversation with you
1: yeah as, as long as we meet somewhere in the middle right um, Yeah. that's a, as long as there's no as, as long as we still stick to our agreements and and you know then then that's fine but but yeah it becomes difficult if it's not the case
0: mhm <laughs> quick quick uh, thing that I wanted to ask you about like friendships and just relationships, especially the ones that no longer exist in the same form that they used to. Did you ever take that personally? Did you ever take that personally as far as like, man, that was my fault. I should have done better or I could have done better. And if not, like, how'd you process that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I did take that personal in the beginning, but I do think that was as, as much the other party taking it personally too. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's even how it started, because often it was really related to me not giving them as much attention as I probably should have in a, in, in that friendship. Um, and it it kind of became almost this. I could easily see from the outset that it became this, like, yeah, this is a friendship on my terms, not on yours perspective. Well, this was neither an intention nor was it very very deliberate. Um, but I can see how one could see it like that. Of course, I I, I took it. In and I kind of reflected over it, but I, I had also to move on because I mean the, the choice was to try to repair something which in my life situation as it was for many years would have not worked because I knew that those contexts as I described before they absorbed me, mm-hmm. so I knew that that was not even a genuine effort as well. But I've reached out to actually most of them to really, um, I mean there were not so many, but the, for the, with those it happens to to just really also say like understood what happened back then and. Uh, for me, I will still cherish that this was a very good friendship, and um, and I will just, yeah, uh, you know, if we ever talk, we talk, um, and if not, that's also fine. But but I understand, I acknowledged that I understand how this could happen, and I don't think I apologized, but I I, I because I also I said you know. This, this was my context. I was a prisoner of my context and I was probably too young. So I didn't want to hurt, hurt you or cause you any 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 harm or bad feelings. But any, nothing of this was intentional. And of course, yeah. I regret that when that happened or if that happened. And it might have in some cases. But none of it was intentional. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there was also my side where I just didn't have that on the screen or I didn't see it as that. And that's, of course, the consequences are, are for both of us, but probably mine more to take. Because, um, yeah, I wasn't the one walking out of it, technically, while I might have done it through behavior. So there was just a lot of learning and reflections involved. And, of course, it's very sad. That some of these friendships were very close friendships. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, you could also argue, if, if they were so close, we would have probably made it
0: through it. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that I will never find out. <clears throat> would you say in a way that was just closure? Was that a
1: form of closure for you? For me, it was, well, closure, I I think for me, it was just a processing. Okay.
0: uh, Learning, like really also
1: reflecting, you know, what had happened because of course at some points, yes, I understood, but I also got in almost an emotional response because you don't understand my context. Mm -hmm. You know, I should understand yours, but you have no idea where I am. Mm -hmm. But that was also, of course, wrong because how should they? Mm -hmm. How should they ever be able to understand the context that I'm in? Well, I probably had more, more, uh, ability to understand the context that they were in, because I've been there. They have never been where I was, so it was also not quite on fair terms this comparison. But it, but this is this for me was just a maturing process because I was I was too young to really understand understand that and and probably too proud to admit things or too less too little reflected to actually understand what really had happened um and i was kind of yeah i i went in a very i think i went in a very much in a blocking position and said like yeah this is how it is later on i worked through that but later on time had passed so mm-hmm. that's why that's why it was important for me to kind of at least uh acknowledge what has happened and say like yeah this i understand now what happened and this is really regrettable and I was i didn't mean any harm so mm-hmm.
0: And I think to a degree, I guess the, the other question that I kind of personally choose to reflect upon is to what degree can I fully understand someone? You know, because much of that also depends on where I'm at and how I'm going to receive and accept and process much of that information. I mean, it's like there there are people in my life that I know for a fact. In fact, one of them I I even wrote a note to myself prior to this conversation. I don't know if this conversation triggered it or not. Maybe the topic did, who knows but it's to reach out to her and explain, uh, not explain, but more so just communicate what you just described. <laughs> and I think for me, I'm choosing to look at that A as a time to reflect and then B also to, I guess you could say find a form of closure, not closure in the sense of like completing the relationship, you know, like having this be the end mm. point to it all, but more so just acknowledging that this is what took place. This is how I understand it now. Um, Cause I also found that, for me, there is a time frame for developing that language and the courage to express some of that. Um, for me, it doesn't always happen like you know the next hour or the next minute after the event takes place. Sometimes it takes months. In this case, I think it's going to be two years, year mm-hmm. and a half. That's how long it took to really like process and reflect upon this and and also work on the not taking it personally part of it all, mm-hmm. because as you said, it's both parties. Both of us have a responsibility in a connection. Yes. You know,
1: I do think there's a is an important point on how to phrase it. Of course, because I for me I would have back then I wouldn't have had the picture that I have now. I was first of mm-hmm. all I was too much in the situation. Right, I didn't. I lacked the 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 ability to zoom out of it because I was emotionally affected. I was not mature enough or didn't have you know the 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 ability to think of of the situation as also something way bigger than this and i don't think i'll I, i don't think i'm ever able to understand other people completely and i wonder if i have to but if i if i have the chance to actually get into dialogue with them and we exchange perspectives we just exchange our realities our perceptions of situations even to the emotional state if it goes that deep then I I have a, a little insight into it, and I and I can actually share wh- where I come from, and we'll see where the gaps are. We'll see where the misunderstandings are. We see where the the misperceptions are of each other and of each other's behavior, and that has proven to be quite an effective way for me to really to to bridge some of those gaps. Mm-hmm. You, you might not close or repair the relationship again, but at least you might not leave it as as vulnerable or as kind of hurtful as it might might st- might still be when you look or think back of it. Mm-hmm. And and the beautiful thing that happened, I mean, I've had some I've lost touch with some people that I that I met again years later, coincidentally in some cases. And and it was just like almost establishing a new relationship. And and then realizing wow, that was actually that meant way more to me than I understand than understood back then. And it's so great that that, that we reconnected. And mm-hmm. and that, that's that's also a beautiful thing that can happen, right? So yeah.
0: And I think to a degree also this concept of regret. I know I oftentimes hear, I don't know if you hear the same thing, you know, don't regret anything in life and things like that. In my personal opinion, I don't know if that's fully possible. I think that their regrets, it like, it still exists. You know, even when I do say whatever it is that I had to say or meet them however many years down the road, there's still that regret because that moment is recorded, you know, in the memory book for however long I remember it. Like, I'll still remember how it all took place and what had happened. I think that if anything, that regret transforms from having it be some like a place of anger or something that I'm constantly thinking about to just more so acknowledging that, hey, this happened. And yes, I regret maybe what the future could have been in that particular friendship or connection. But at the same time, it's like, and that's where I think the personal element probably plays in. Like, am I choosing to take it personally? And have it kind of, you know, uh, influence the trajectory moving forward, or do I just acknowledge it for what it was and then just keep moving along? Okay.
1: I think regret, as you say, I see it similar. I think it's not possible not to regret things. Mm-hmm. I do think it's impossible. It's possible to look upon it as something. Yes, I I regret it, but what what is it that I take with me, or what's relevant with for me now, and what often is with regrets, it's really like, okay, what can I do about it now? I might not be able to do anything about that situation back then. And I might not be able to recreate that situation. We usually are not. So it's really about, okay, the situation has changed. What can I do about it? Can I reach out to that person? And maybe let the person know that I regret yeah. that uh, mm-hmm. and see what what goes from there. But but the danger with regrets, I experienced it myself um, a lot, of course, and, and um, many other people too, is that you get stuck in that regret. Yeah. And then it becomes this downward spiral because you, of course you, what comes with regret is actually this alternative reality that you never know would have played out. But it, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we've, we've talked about realities before and then you, you build almost this, like this air castle, as we say, of a different reality. And the, the be- more beautiful that reality becomes, the bigger the regret becomes. Mm-hmm. And, and while, while all of this is an assumption or it's a dream or it's a wish, but all of this is built on a regret that you have maybe behaved a certain way or taken a decision that that you would have liked to take back. But if you let that continue into an alternative reality in your head, then you will you get stuck in it mm-hmm. because the feeling will not go away. If you go back to okay, what can I do about it now? You know, it's there. It makes me that makes me feel bad. Do I wanna do I wanna do something with it? Can I do something with it? And what is it that I can do about it? Then you 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 are able to let, I wouldn't say you maybe let go of regrets, but you transform them. As you said, I think that's that's a very nice way of putting it.
0: Mm-hmm. And at that moment, you're probably stuck in that next step for as long as you allowed. <laughs> and I really, I, I want to emphasize the next step is, is a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's important to understand for me where you come from, mm-hmm. and wh- where you take that step from. Because... It's, if you don't do that, you basically just jump from next step to next step. So there's never a break in between where you actually say like, now I've landed. The step is completed. I'm happy about it. It's great. And I'm confident that I can move on to the next step. And I think, I don't think we realize that we have constantly next steps going on. Mm
2: -hmm. Whether it's a
1: new project or whether it's a new book or, you know, a new TV series or getting fit or, you know, new year's resolution. It's all next. These are all next steps. And, and that also can create this overwhelming scope of next steps that we have to have to complete because in sometimes they're not only next steps but they're also really we, we they're goals for us right they may, we make them goals and we want to achieve them and that always is for me related to a certain well I, could be a motivation, but it's also a bit of a pressure. so if you don't achieve it, you technically failed. So mm-hmm. you know it's all mindsets but but there is there is uh, people who look at it that way. And, and I have looked upon it that way. You know, if I didn't manage something, it was like, oh, I failed. No, I didn't. There were reasons why I didn't. And let me find out why I didn't manage it. Was it even a goal that I wanted to pursue? Or was it something that you should pursue? Because that's also different, right? Was there my my motivation for it? Or was I motivated because I, everybody else did it? And those are very different elements to it. So the next step is is in many ways, has so many facets to it. has So many layers and levels and forms and shapes that that there is for me no
0: not not the one next step right so yeah i probably have asked you this before doing the, the numerous conversations that we've had but how do you view failure
1: yeah failure is is uh, a mindset thing for me um i i try to avoid talking about it as failure i try mm-hmm. to 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 look upon it as something that you've tried and that didn't work out and then you can look into two ways either what is it that that led to that it didn't work out You know, and what was what within it was my my responsibility and my scope of influence. And the other element is, you know, what was the aim, the achievement, uh, what I wanted to do, actually what I really wanted to do or what I should have done. And I think we talked initially about crisis and and my field of work. That's that's highly relevant because in in crisis management, you will take constantly decisions where you you don't know, you know, it's dilemma decisions and technically nothing's right what you what you decide. Which all in which which in return, and I've said this before, makes makes everything right. Mm-hmm. It it's just the way you look upon it. If everything's mm-hmm. wrong, technically everything's right too, because you know one thing can't be wronger than the other. It's just you have to make a decision what feels better for you. And and often in crisis situations, you try something and it doesn't work out, and the situation doesn't change. But looking upon that as a failure is very dangerous because you you know you kind of you measure the result of something you couldn't have known before so for me it's it's um it this is a very important reframing that i do in my head it's not a failure it's something that didn't work out you know i'll, I'll learn from it and and then move on
0: that's really interesting yeah i i think for me i probably subscribe to a similar mindset it's more so just opportunity to learn to look at the experiences and and ask myself well yes it didn't work out according to an expectation a set of assumptions that I had, but what can I learn from it? And I I will also add on to the whole um, growth mindset, (laughs) learning mindset, whichever way you want to label it. But for me, one of the reasons why I was able to shift the perspective around many of the circumstances that I've been through in my life is through that ability, looking at it as a learning opportunity. And like, yes, this happened, but what did it teach me? Or what did it help me see differently? And there's some things that don't, I will also say that like, there's some situations in my life where the answer to that question did not appear immediately. Um, Some things don't have an answer. Some things just have an answer, whatever answer you choose to accept. you know, I, I certainly can't find the ultimate reason, like why did my mom, my birth mom, choose to do what she chose to do? There's no way of knowing. Mm. Um, And now there's actually no way of knowing because there's no opportunity for me to ask that question. Mm. So I think to a degree, there's that component of yes, reframing and trying to look at it through a learning opportunity, but also understanding like some things don't have a clear cut answer. Some things don't have an answer, period. You know, it's the same exact thing. It's like, how do you choose to respond to your circumstances? Uh, Whether you're living in Texas or other parts of the world and it's like, and you pointed this out many times throughout all of our other conversations it's like yes there's a choice you can either go this way or that way but then there's also the thing where you don't have to choose having the ability not to choose is also a choice and i think the same thing is probably relevant to failure you know
1: what, what whatever you do is a choice for me yeah. so even if you're not doing anything and we've talked about this previously but but also this this concept of failure for me is similar to what we've just discussed with regret. Because if you get too stuck on, on failure and often it's actually not the achieving the, the, or the, the lack of achievement of a result. Uh-huh. So you're actually limiting also the the failure to one element of a whole process, of a uh-huh. whole context, of a whole situation, which also might, might not make it really quite of a, a fair conclusion because the process might've been great. Yeah. You could have had the, the most inclusive decision-making process, for example. You could have all agreed that it's the best decision and the, desol- and the result was a catastrophe for many people. But it didn't make it a failure then. Or the same for a project, right? You, you all decided you invest money into this and uh, it didn't go as planned. Is it a failure? Oh, it's a project that went wrong because we did everything right and there were maybe things that we could have, could, couldn't could foresee or circumstances. Companies now, typical example in, in, during COVID-19, they're not failures because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't, or that they, they might have not made it through COVID-19 because of the circumstances and the limitations. Nobody could ever look at upon that as failure because okay. they didn't manage to to adapt. Because some just couldn't, and for some it was impossible because the restrictions were too too big. Some didn't have the, the means to do it. So, but that would actually limit really what they've what they had achieved before, the process, the idea, the the, the mindset, whatever they put to the table. So uh-huh. I think failure is is is, a, is for me a very tricky thing, and I yeah there's there's questions where you don't have answers to, and that's in a way a similar approach that I would choose to that as I would choose to re, to the regrets. It's really this I accept that there's not going to be going to be an answer, and the choices that I have is I fill it with my own reality, so uh-huh. I give myself the answers to those questions if I needed them, accepting that they are just my answers, or I let it go, or I just try to kind of remind myself well. Not to repeat certain behaviors, um, not to kind of what can I learn, what I can take out of this that I would learn from the situation. So there's a there's a few elements to that as well. But but I particularly as a as a teenager, I was having these these troubles at night when you go into this. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that into these thinking spirals. <laughs> you know, you start with one thought, and then it's like, okay, but what if the universe? If what what is actually infinite, right? I mean. Uh, how does it even look? And how? what's beyond infin- infinite? And and all those questions, right? Mm-hmm. We there are no answers to. But they drove me insane. And instead of saying, okay, I accept. There's not going to be an answer. So at least maybe one day I'll know. Now I don't know. And I can't get it anywhere. So,
0: Oh, I didn't only experience it as a kid. I experience <laughs> that now. <laughs> this is my everyday routine <laughs> where I just got to remind myself that, okay, just got to let this talk go and go go on to the next thing which is sleep <laughs> because otherwise you're right it, it is a never-ending story it's a never-ending rabbit hole because <laughs> one thought can always lead to the next and then there's always going to be a question within the question and an answer within the answer and it,
2: it yeah it, it's I, a
0: never it's a never-ending spiral i read this beautiful quote
1: on that the other day um in one of um in a book about decision making by by gary klein where he says um there's this, you know, at one point you have to stop asking questions because there's always another question. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about this, the more true it became because there is, is there's always another question. You know, even the exercises, like as facilitators, sometimes you do the five whys, you know, mm-hmm. say like okay, five, after five steps, you're certainly, you're so deep in the subject that it, it matters, but you can continue. You, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's always another question. And I found that a very good quote in the sense of, Yeah. Sometimes we have to also understand when, when it's enough, do we really want to know this answer? Do we need these answers? What actually matters? Uh, Do they matter to us? Um, so I I think that's, that's really something we have to regularly reflect over. What, what is it that we need with this answer or are Mm -hmm. we ready for it? You know, that's the other thing. Are we ready for an answer? That's often Mm -hmm. over.
0: And I think part of the question in as well, at least my experience has taught me is that it doesn't actually correlate with action. I mean, there were years where I would just ask the question of, like, or how would this work out? And I would do all this planning and everything. And then just realized that it's like there's a point where it, it's not worth asking more questions because it doesn't actually help me get into action. It doesn't help me get into the experience in understanding, like, okay, does this question actually, what does this question actually carry? What does it actually mean? What's the purpose of it? And unless I live it, you know, I could spend here probably the rest of my life. Just asking questions and planning yeah. and doing things without actually getting the experience. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, who knows what the ultimate thing is? I don't believe there is one when it comes to life. I mean, is it experience or is it asking questions? Maybe it's what it, I feel like it's more so whichever one you choose, you know? In a, in um
1: in, a, in a, let's say, um, a- a rather white, white, um fetched or far-fetched comparison i mean the next question is always a bit like the next step right yeah. so eventually you will have to you'll have to know when when you should actually stick to the answer you have and you can you can always ask that question later on but if mm-hmm. you ask it immediately you might not even even be processed to be able to process the answers you've already had so
2: mm-hmm.
0: i want to give people a chance uh those that are tuning in to connect with you further in the work that you do so i know that crisis compass is one of the things that you started the crisis um, compass is can you, you should... share more a little about is it crisis com? i'll type it up yeah there that you
1: it's the crisiscompass.com. and uh, what we do is we simply a bit of what i've told now but also uh, on other occasions is we we try to look upon crisis management a bit differently we're focusing on on really using it as a means of for innovative solutions uh, to make confident to, to take confident decisions to to really um, yeah look upon the crisis practically as an as an opportunity mm-hmm. and, uh, and and support companies businesses individuals in ways through it uh, through different methods and so on. So we're focusing not so much on the context on the rather opposite. We're focusing on to help people to uh, understand what's their scope of influence and based on that get through the crisis. Mm-hmm outside
0: of that how can people connect with you
1: well i'm I'm always uh, yeah i'm always open to connection i really like uh meeting up with people and and having conversations like we have uh, mm-hmm. and uh linkedin of course i'm i'm there and please reach out i'd be happy i'm also on twitter medium i write here and there so you can uh,
0: please just feel free to connect or what do, you, what do you focus on on medium
1: Different things. I write a little bit about crisis and parenting, inspired by our. Um, <laughs> inspired by, I have, yeah, I share a bit by, but my stories, but also my perspectives on um, cross-sectorial, uh, you know, learnings from different sectors. So how you can transfer certain elements from one sector into, let's say, crisis management,
0: for example. So yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I'm I'm always grateful when we're able to connect because, you know, we start with one thing and it just goes completely, not even completely other direction. I think it goes the direction that it's meant to go in and it somehow always comes full circle even to the whole topic or the original question. So I'm just grateful for the fact that our paths have crossed and just the continued, you know, friendship that we've been able to develop. Got a little visitor. (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: yeah. I am I am
1: my Can you wait I'll it's not ready. <laughs> oh, there was a life, a life uh, <laughs> going into the show, but um, yeah, I'm, I also appreciate our the invitations. I appreciate our chats, and I'm really glad that we connected because, as you say, it just takes us from one from one uh, topic to the to the next, and it just feels mm-hmm. like this natural exchange. So every single time, really enriching.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content as well as the latest episodes. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these courageous and inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.